Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. They were sitting on a kind of a natural amphitheater on a sloping hill beside the Sea of Galilee. Some were rough fishermen with their hired hands. Some were shrewd tax collectors and their cronies. Uptight religious leaders like the Pharisees and Sadducees were there because they were growing increasingly curious and nervous about this new preacher around Palestine. There were hardworking tradespeople of all sorts as well as mothers and their children. And they were all really very ordinary people and broken and hurting and scared. They were people like me and they were people like you. And one thing was happening in their towns and villages, and it was happening because of a man named Jesus who arrived on the scene with what he called the gospel of God. And he began joyfully announcing everywhere that he traveled the good news that history had reached a major turning point. The time is fulfilled, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, so very near because of him and in him. And things started happening because of this. People were being cured of diseases. Those who had long suffered from blindness were now beginning to see. The lame were beginning to walk. People long held captive by demonic spirits now began to be set free. People were experiencing the joy of having their sins forgiven. Troubled minds were finding peace. Hope was being restored. People from all over the region of Galilee were coming to see him. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to immerse ourselves in the words of Jesus who spoke some of the most poignant and powerful words ever given. They are most commonly referred to as called the Beatitudes. And throughout the centuries, these words found and spoken across a Galilean hillside. Jesus' words have leapt off the page and are found all over the place in our world. They're found on posters. They're found on greeting cards, hanging on walls, emails by people who don't know who spoke them. The Beatitudes are from Matthew chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles there, you can go and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and today we're just, we'll be there if you'd like to go there, page 683 of that Bible in front of you. It'll also be on the screen behind me here in a second, but we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. Uh, if, make sure you find a church that preaches and teaches the scriptures, and I pray that you'd find one that does the same preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. So Matthew 5, uh, for a minute, let's talk about it. First, Beatitudes. The name Beatitude comes from the Latin word Beatus, because the first word of each statement in the Latin Vulgate, or very early translation, is Beati, which translates Matthew's Greek word Markarios, which is translated traditionally blessed. And best what we can find out is blessedness, and then we find the word beatitudes. So let me sort of set up the context of why, what is happening sort of in this place and the setting by which this happens. This comes in Matthew chapter 5. This is Matthew's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are four gospels. They are accounts about Jesus' life. I'm grateful we have four of them. They're all telling us their own, their flavor of what Jesus has done and their account of what Jesus has done. I'm grateful that we have four of them in the scriptures for us telling us about what Jesus did. It gives us a fuller picture of the life of Jesus. And Matthew is telling us this. Matthew's telling us the story as if he were there because he is a disciple 
himself, who was formerly a tax collector of all occupations. And he is writing this gospel through eyewitness eyes. So through real time that he's seeing and got a front row view of what's happening with Jesus. So there are 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. Is my microphone on? Can you guys hear me? Okay. 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. So the Beatitudes happen fairly early on in the ministry of Jesus. So Matthew gives us detail as to the birth of Jesus. And we're going to throw it back to just a few weeks ago at Christmas time. And then Matthew says this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. This is kind of the Matthew start. God with us, not, a, not, not against us but among us, and not, but a perfect and holy God coming very close to imperfect people and then dwelling amongst imperfect people. Matthew wants us to know this. So Jesus is baptized. This happens very early on in Jesus' ministry. He's baptized, and then he begins to preach. Matthew 4, verse 12, and it goes like this as we read verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people walking in darkness have seen a great what? Light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach. What's the first word? Repent, for the kingdom, have, kingdom of heaven has come near. In verse 18, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, so as he's walking along, he sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were what? Fishermen, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And I love this, at once, like at once, at that very moment, boom, they, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and what? Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went around Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, and those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan and followed him. So this is the context of this. So I want to focus on verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come what? Near. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus of Nazareth and in him and because of them, the long-awaited living God, the long-awaited living God is now broken into the world. In and because of Jesus, the long-awaited reign of heaven is breaking in upon the earth. And so you hear the news that Jesus is announcing here. The kingdom of God is here and now, and yes, it's future. But there is a future waiting for those who belong to the kingdom, but it is God's rule and reign in here on earth, moving upon the world right now, people who trust him and believe in him. You see, the doorstep of the Beatitudes is what's called a larger picture of what Jesus says is called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's Matthew 5, verses 7 in the book of Matthew. And so this is the vision that Jesus says that this is what walking with God looks like. Essentially, this is what kingdom life looks like on the 
the ground, in our world, on earth. And this is what happens when the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to save us from our sin and separation from God, God forever dwells with us, gets a hold. This is what happens when God gets a hold of the human heart and then begins to change someone and and then people begin to live that out. So I just want to notice this. If you notice what we read, I just want to talk about the crowds. He's going and through he's going through healing, healing every disease and sickness among the people, and large crowds are following him. Large crowds are following him, verse 25. And he's healing people, revealing glimpses of the kingdom on earth through healing and making way for God's inbreaking kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so the note about this is what always strikes me about Jesus and the crowds across his ministry is that he never allows the size or the enthusiasm of the crowds to steer the content of his message. There's nothing inherently wrong about enthusiastic crowds. Jesus simply declares the message of his Father even when the crowds desert him. He still does it. John 6.66 says this, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And yet, Jesus continued his message. Kind of rubs up little bit of the model of church growth that invades our churches today. It is not to say that we shouldn't pursue the crowds and whatnot and be concerned about church attendance. We should, in fact, be honest about that. And I pray, I pray, I pray our pews are filled. I pray that the empty seats are, in fact, seen as an opportunity and a burden that the church that we all carry to see people come and know and follow Jesus. I pray that you are here. I love to see you when you are here. I'm quite sad when I do not see you, but I I know there's something about Jesus remaining steadfast about the crowd size. There is something about Jesus just remaining kind of steadfast about crowd size. We are people to be formed by disciples of Jesus first and foremost. And I pray our church continues to grow, by the way. And I pray our church continues to grow, and I pray we would pursue the lost with the hope of Jesus. And even if that word of the year, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, I pray that we would embody that as well as followers of Jesus. You see, even with this, local churches of believers that live out radical obedience to the Lordship of Christ, growth is an inevitable result of that. The substance will produce the effect. For the early church, it just happened. And I think there's something for all of us to glean from this, myself included. How are we growing individually as followers of Jesus? We need to be formed by the way of Jesus. We should ask ourselves, what is the quality of our witness to our culture? Whether we're excelling in attaining numerical goals or are we being formed by the Sermon on the Mount? Are we growing in our love for enemies? Are we being known and recognized for people of mercy? Are we maintaining unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace? Being people who are being patient during hardship. The Beatitudes are a description of the kind of people that we ought to become and how God's people come in and embody the message of Jesus and embody that. So first few verses of Matthew chapter 5. Now, this is a few verses. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. 
And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So I just want to stop for a second here. So he's on the doorsteps of this. There's something about great speeches that really draw us in, things that make you really stop and then lean into these. And this is not just any speech from any person. This is the Son of God, and his disciples are there on that mountainside, and they come to him, and they lean into this kind of teaching. Notice how many speeches we have forgotten. Some we recall, some we forget, but these are words which will never pass away. And I pray that we do the same and lean into it. You see, seven times across the book of Matthew, there's Jesus doing these teachings on, this, on mountains. And when we lean into the person with the authority behind this, we lean in to Jesus. Dale Bruner, he says this about this, this, uh, this. He says, Jesus now increases his ministry of healing, not only by going deeper in words, but also by going wider in disciples. Uh, Matt, let's pick up in verse 3 of Matthew. It says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice, notice when we read these, um, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a present reality, not should be or maybe, but theirs is. It belongs to those people. So I just want you to know that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I like what N.T. Wright, his scholar and author N.T. Wright says about this. He says, when God wants to change the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek, the mourners, those who are hungry and thirsty for God's justice, the peacemakers. These statements are how Jesus, what might capture a life, what, what a life with God looks like. These are the values of a life expressed of a person whose life lives under the reign and the authority of the king, that through these blessings, Jesus announces that these are the ones who will experience the divine life. They're the ones through whom the kingdom will grow and expand. Though, though the world seems to trample on these kinds of people, they're the very ones where Jesus will advance his reign, people just like himself. Notice the very, you notice the very first word of all of those? It's blessed. Blessed. Blessed, and there's scores of literature and scholarly work on that word, and you can look it up if you so choose on the original language of the Bible. New Testament was written in Greek, and there's much to be written about the force of that word, what that word is, and blessed is the word that many of our Bibles have translated that word. Some people might say happy. One says in alignment or in sync are the people, are the poor in spirit, in alignment or in sync. But the word blessed is the way that God sees us and the way God views those kinds of people who live into the kingdom of God. Another note about the Beatitudes, this is the way God sees us, that God sees us is blessed if you live into those Beatitudes. Another note on the Beatitudes with this, that these are a package deal. And what do I mean by that? 
Jesus' ministry is marked by him calling and finding ordinary broken people. And then when they follow Jesus, the kingdom comes to change them and their life. And as a result of contact with him, as a result of submission to his rule, the qualities he begins to bless people begin to appear in their lives. Another word of this is like all of the Beatitudes are interrelated. These are qualities that emerge in every kingdomized person. So we cannot simply say, so these are qualities that are a package deal. So for instance, we cannot say, well, I'm not very peaceworthy. I'll leave that up to my other friend who is peace, who is a peacemaker. Or I'm, I'm not very meek. I'll leave that up to that other, to maybe another person. These are all a part about what happens when God gets a hold of our heart. And these are all expressed. These are all interrelated as well. These qualities emerge out of somebody who is part of the kingdom of God. We cannot pick and choose the qualities of the kingdom. If I'm honest, though, like just a pastoral word for a moment, if I'm honest, this really goes for all of Jesus. This goes for all of Jesus' teaching, and this goes for a whole Bible. Sometimes we want to pick and choose the kinds of things in the Bible we like and don't like. And we leave out parts that really don't suit us. And I just... I'm just reminding us all here today, we are not free to tamper with the Bible. And um, we are not free to pick and choose the things we like and don't like. This is God's word, living word to us as well. Each person grabbed a hold of by him and his gospel becomes poor in spirit and meek and merciful and pure in heart. The poor in spirit are also meek. The meek are also pure in heart. The pure in heart are also merciful. One beatitude flows into the next one. Poverty of spirit results in mourning over the sinful condition of the world and of our own souls. Mourning gives birth to meekness and to gentleness. And you may say, how can I be blessed by such qualities? These qualities seem to suggest more of passivity and the world's going to trample on me. Isn't the world bad enough as it is already? Wouldn't the kingdom best be realized by force or coercion or some other quality? or manipulation, or by anger, perhaps, we'll discover that there is considerable strength in these qualities. But isn't that the point? Aren't these qualities supposed to be otherworldly and other kingdom-like? Isn't that the point? Because Jesus comes to present a kingdom not of this world, and he turns everything right side up. The qualities he blesses not only seem, the only seem upside down because our old humanity is upside down. Right side up are the meek. Right side up are the merciful. Right side up are the poor in spirit. The world is upside down, which is why such qualities and values feel upside down. Jesus begins to change the world through ordinary people who are changed by the gospel. And then these qualities begin to emerge. Daryl Johnson says it like this, Poverty and spirit, mourning and gentleness and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity and heart, peacemaking and being persecuted are all the result of the gospel breaking through us. They are consequences of turning around and embracing the reign of Jesus Christ. These are qualities that must be done if we embrace Jesus 
Jesus and the gospel first. These are not passive qualities either. It is an ongoing result of an encounter and an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. It's the result of being infused by His grace, the result of the kingdom breaking in our lives and doing its work in us. And if we follow Jesus, we may certainly read through the Beatitudes and we do some self-reflection on whether such qualities are reflected in our heart and in our life. And which is why Jesus says in Matthew 4, he says in verse 17, that repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He continually calls us to repent and to turn and to turn at deeper levels of trust and embrace him and his reign more fully and more and as we live it out. And as we do day after day and week after week, we are turned right side up in an upside down world. We are synchronized with the really real. So let's turn to the first one. The, verse, the first one in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a purpose to this beatitude. There's a purpose to this. And the word poor in the original language has the force of those who are totally destitute. Happy and fortunate are the blessed to those. Happy and fortunate are those who need God, who know they need God. For theirs belongs the kingdom. Dale Bruner again says it like this. When Matthew's Jesus then ex explicates this wretchedness of being poor in spirit, he wishes to say that those who have reached the bottom spiritually, emotionally, physically, who cannot live without God's supernatural help and miraculous intervention for all such desperate persons, for all the world calls failures, God is especially there. Could somebody say amen? God is especially there for those whom the world calls failures. And we have the sworn word of Jesus right here, church. Like, like this gives me joy, and I pray it gives you joy. Like, the, the kingdom comes to those kinds of people. The people who know that they need God. Blessings. We have the sworn word of Jesus that blessings on those kinds of people. Simply put, the gospel poor in spirit are the people who recognize they are helpless without God's help. Blessed are those who understand they need God and are willing to go the desperate lengths to receive their sustenance from God alone. Blessed are those who understand they need God and willing to go the desperate lengths to receive their sustenance from God alone. The poor in spirit are those who are soaked in humility and under no delusion of self-reliance. They know that they need God and understand the weight of sin. They understand that apart from the ongoing stream of God's mercy, nothing can satisfy their parched souls. It means that the first beatitude is that they understand that the kingdom of God, first and foremost, is one of sheer mercy. It's not one. The kingdom of God cannot be gained by merit, by privilege, or entitlement. All of us fall under the weight of sin. And all of us are separated from God. It's sheer mercy. When Jesus calls people, he says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves and take up their cross and what? Follow me. Matthew 16, 24. There's this denying part of ourselves that one cannot walk the way of Jesus and walk the way of forgiveness and peacemaking and patient endurance of persecution without denying ourselves. The kingdom grows through people who deny themselves and desperately know that they need God. And once we lose our sense of knowing we need God, we lose spiritual growth and it's stifled. Um, another just pastoral word for a moment. Spiritual growth happens first in us, first. And far too often there is a tendency to point the finger toward others. 
when in fact it is us individually whom the kingdom advances. And, we, and that's not to say we shouldn't pray for others, but there's a tendency to point the finger toward other people. We must always recognize, church, the deep need that all of us have individually for God and God alone. Robert Gulick says it like this, For Matthew, the poor in spirit are those who find themselves waiting empty-handed upon God alone for their hope and deliverance. God, grant us, help us, help me to be more empty-handed for you. And we believe that God causes, so we in the Scriptures, we believe that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And I just wonder this week, with what happened on Monday night, DeMar Hamlin went down, the football player who collapsed on the field. And I just wonder if God in His providence was indeed showing us and reminding us regarding the power of prayer in that moment. And I'm not here to say, well, that we don't know who people were praying to, but the power of prayer. I, I don't know if anybody exactly knew that that guy was going to going to make it. And yet so many people started turning to prayer. I mean, you saw such unity in prayer and just as an incredible thing. I just wonder what God is doing in that right now through our, through our country, us, church, world, us, and reminding that God is stirring up people to start praying again, to come to God and start praying. Blessed are those who know that they need God. And Jesus turns the world upside down He changes the price tags. God's economy is not the world's economy. The world's category for such people, mourners, blessed are people who mourn, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The categories for such people, I mean the categories for such people, laughable, foolish, outdated book. That doesn't work. It doesn't work by, you have to do it by force. I mean the world calling people blessed who need God, you're kidding me, Right? And yet the category, Jesus turns this up on its head. And he's like, no, this is right side up. This is actually what it looks like to live into the world and to make a difference. Luke 18, Jesus gives us a parable that describes people that are poor in spirit. Describes this. Luke 18, verse, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Notice the two people here. Pharisee and tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a what? Sinner, and I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, the Pharisee in the parable could go on and on and on about his spiritual achievements because he was only comparing himself to other human beings. And as long as we do that, we can find someone off worse than we are. You will find someone who is prouder than you are, and although you may still be quite proud, you will congratulate yourself on being humble. You will find someone who has strong fits of temper, and although you have a temper, you will congratulate yourself on being more moderate in your temper than he. In sync, in harmony, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Reminds me of that hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look for thee for grace. Foul I to the mountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And as this corporate prayer, as we have been talking about the word of the year, seek, comes from Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The corporate prayer, if you, if you want to pray this prayer with me for our church this year, coming through, the, coming through us, coming through us, Lord, let my affections, my desires for you be aligned above all else. Have my purpose be for your glory and to see your glory come right now in my circumstances in Lawrence County and Newcastle in my family as it is in heaven. And may it begin to shine forth. May your kingdom begin to shine forth in my life. God, help me to see about your kingdom come in my life this coming year for the sake of my family and friends and church and neighbors and community. May I shine brightly for you this coming year. Seek first, church, Washington Union, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to us as well. Worship team, will you come up as we sing this song together?